Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another good morning and all of your grace and mercy toward us that you got us up out of a really, really cold, rainy December night and allowed us to get here. Father, thank you for that. God, thank you for uh, building a place like this where we gather and we're, we're comfortable in here. And Father, we, we've come to really appreciate and love Sundays. I mean, it's our heart's desire, Father, that we would bring ourselves before you and open up your word and have you teach us. And Father, we ask that you would do that again today. And God, we pray your blessing upon this time, the blessing, your blessing upon your word, that we would be convicted of our sins. But in that, God, we wouldn't run to doubt and depression. We wouldn't run from you. We would hear about your love for us and that we would come to you knowing that through Jesus you forgive us. And so, Father, we come today seeking that forgiveness, desiring to worship you, for all we have is Christ as our Lord. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. One. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have the pew Bibles there and the black Bibles. It's page 885. If you would do that, I'd love for you to follow along today. I'm going to take a break from the Gospel of Mark, uh, which we've been going through now for several months, and we're going to look at uh, the Christmas story today. I want you to know the Christmas story, and we're going to cover really uh, most of it today. Uh, but I'm going to stay at Matthew chapter 1. I'm just going to mention the other parts. Uh, so we're not in Mark, and we're not going to be in Mark next week either. Um, yes, we do worship Jesus on Jesus' birthday, and so there is worship next Sunday morning, December the 25th, and looking forward to it. Um, so this week and next week, we're not going to be in the Gospel of Mark, and we will have some Christmas messages. As it says in your bulletin, today's message is about how Christmas is for everyone. Christmas is for everyone. I think you know that already, but our life experience and the interaction that we have with people uh, around us would cause us to think otherwise. Not everybody's in the Christmas spirit. Not everybody celebrates Christmas. And so a distinction is drawn between uh, the Christmas story and the Christmas holiday. The Christmas story and the Christmas holiday. There may be some people who are saying that Christmas is not for them. And as I was thinking through that, I was reminded of a phrase that I've heard my dad say often that I, I hear other people say too, that, hey, it's not for everyone. Perhaps you've been into something and you've really enjoyed it and you encountered somebody who wasn't. And you said, hey, it's not for everyone. Yesterday evening at 5.30, there is no other place that I would have been anywhere in the world than glued to my TV to watch the CBS Sports Classic as North Carolina played the University of Kentucky, and that's where I was. And our five children and my wife, in a kind way, I think, Valeria, were kind of put on pause as we dialed into this game, and it turned out to be a really, really good game. Unfortunate outcome, but great game. And believe it or not, there's some people that didn't watch that game. Not because they were involved with sports somewhere else, but because they didn't care about the game. Can't imagine, but that's what they say. And so you might reply with, hey, it's not for everyone, right? It's not for everyone. 
Just about two months ago, we were walking through our neighborhood on October the 31st night. We were trick-or-treating. We were going house to house and lights and costumes and kids everywhere. And then we'd be walking down the road and the kids would have all this, this, this candy. And you'd come upon a house that there were no lights and nothing and it just looked dark. And their cars were there and, and you could see inside there watching TV or something. And you think to yourself, well, they're home. They're just not celebrating that kids are coming by. And you, you may have heard somebody say, eh, that's okay. Halloween's not for everyone, right? Not everybody does that. Or go back several, several months. Let's go all the way back to February the 14th when I was running around trying my best to come up with chocolates or roses or something for my, for my dear wife to let her know that she's my Valentine and I love her and, and I'm kind of stressed out about wanting to do a good job at Valentine's Day and not drop the ball. And you might hear somebody say, I hate this holiday, right? And some people do. They don't like Valentine's Day. And you, you would reply with, you know, it's not, it's not for everyone, and you know what? Some people may be thinking that about Christmas. But I want you to hear today that absolutely Christmas is for everyone. Maybe not the holiday, but certainly God's story. I want to throw out a couple things that, that may help you see the difference between Christmas as the holiday and Christmas as the Christmas story. You may like the Christmas holiday more than the Christmas story if any of these things are true. You would rather get presents than you would give presents. We've got it twisted if that's us. It's hard to teach our little children that. I went to a school program this week, and one of the Christmas songs that they sang was, I love birthdays because the presents are all for me, the presents are all for me, the presents are all for me. I love Jesus' birthday because... The presents are all for me, the presents are all for me, the presents are all for me. That's a song that they sang, right? It's not what the Christmas story teaches, though. The Christmas story in the life of Jesus teaches that God gives and that in his following it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You may be more in love with the holiday than the story if you'd rather get than you would give. Also, if you get bitter and, and jealous this time of year of other people, then you may be more into the holiday than you are to the story. The story, as I'm about to preach, is going to tell you that God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to get yourself outside of his love if you are in Christ, that Jesus died for you. What better news is there than that? We just read that the angel, the shepherds, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know if that's redundant or too wordy, but that is some happy people, right? That's some joyful people. They were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, right? There's no reason this time of year that we should be bitter or jealous of others. If so, then the holiday has become bigger to us than the story, and that ought not to be the case. Or how about one more example? If you get mad or upset about you getting a gift and you didn't like the gift, then perhaps you're more into the holiday than you are into the story. And nowadays, the late-night talk shows have made a, made a name and, 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 and really a, a fun scene out of filming kids who don't like their presents. I don't know if you've seen this before, but they film the kids' reaction to their Christmas present, where they get mad at their parents, or they throw it back, or they start crying in this big scene. It's real, and there's all types of videos online of that. Perhaps we've forgotten the story and 
become more into the holiday if that is us. After all, a present is a present. Nobody has to get you any present at all, regardless of how big your Christmas list is. And just for clarity, we love, I love the Christmas holiday, right? I love everything to do with Christmas, and I enjoy it so much more because of the Christmas story. The holiday means more because of the story. The Christmas story is for absolutely everyone. And today I want to give you four types of people that are seen right in the Christmas story that you and I can connect with. The first is young people. The second is families with drama. The third is lower class people. And the fourth is upper class people. Four categories that we are quite familiar with. If you would, read with me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph... Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Christmas is for everyone. This story is for everyone. This passage that we're reading today is absolutely for everyone. God is in his love for us and in his great plan sending his son to us to become like us that he might show us what God is like and then once we are understanding God he would give up his life. He would be willing to die. He would be nailed to a cross not because the wages of sin is death is true in his own case but that the wages of sin is death is true in our case. And so God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was willing to come to earth, get to know us, show us what we are like, show us what God is like, and then die in our place for us out of love. This is the Christmas story. Absolutely, that is for everyone. And there are four types here. The first is young people. I don't know if you've thought about this in a while, but the Christmas story, I mean, the story is made up of a teenage couple and a baby. How fitting is that in 2016, where teenage pregnancy is on the rise as it's never been before? And the Christmas story is that, young Mary, young Joseph, and they're having a baby. That's the Christmas story. Somewhere along the lines, we have twisted church into becoming something that young people don't connect with. 
Can I remind you all that if we're doing anything that doesn't connect with certain types of people, then perhaps we're not doing what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus connects with people. Jesus loves people. Jesus understands people. There are times where he'd be hanging out with rich people, and there are times where he'd be hanging out with poor people. There were times where he'd be hanging out with families, and there'd be times where he'd be hanging out with outcasts. Jesus was like this. Let's not get that wrong. Nowadays, we have churches everywhere closing and shutting down and declining and all of this. And if you speak to anybody at those, it's the same lament. We can't seem to get any young people. We can't get any young people into church. Well, we've gone wrong somewhere when the Christmas story has as it the main characters as young people. They tell us that Mary would have been no more than 14 years old, known as the virgin because she's never been touched by a man. Young Mary with young Joseph, betrothed, meaning they're going to get married. Now, we don't have betrothal in our society today. We, we have engagement, but that, that really doesn't mean anything except for you that you're hoping and planning to get married, and sometimes it doesn't go through. But betrothal was different. Betrothal was, listen to me, that you were married in every way except you had not consummated the marriage. In other words, you've not been to bed together. You've not slept together. They had not had sex together, and that's what they were. In this passage, it says that he was the husband and she was the wife, but they're not married yet. It's because they're betrothed. In this passage, it says that he wanted to divorce her, right? Well, if you're engaged, you're not getting divorced, are you? No, it's so much more than engaged. It's a betrothal. We don't have that in our society. They were young, they were wanting to get married, but they were honoring the Lord by not coming together. They wanted to live their lives the way God had wanted them to, and so they'd not come together yet. And certainly that was huge in the plan because Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that there would be no argument at all that she was conceived, that, he, that she conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if she had been sleeping with guys how uh, much debate there would be about Jesus being born by the power of the Holy Spirit? But they were betrothed, Mary and Joseph, and they were young. Let us remember here today that the Christmas story is a story that is absolutely for young people. The main characters are young people. You know, there's a lot of Christmas movies that I like, and I know you watch Christmas movies too. One of my absolute favorites is, is White Christmas with Bing Crosby, and my, my mom raised me on that movie, and we watch that movie and sing. But you know what? My, my kids don't like it. There's no kids in it. It's old guys that sing and try to connect with old women on a train. I mean, it's kind of weird as far as kids are concerned. But I like it. You know what my kids like? Home Alone. That's their Christmas movie, right? A kid that's stuck at home and doing all this stuff and living by himself and making crazy ice cream and staying in bed all day and trying to go shopping and all of that. That's what they like. Why? Because it's kids liking a movie about kids and what life would be like for them at Christmas. Has the Christmas story become something other to us than God working in the lives of teenagers? It's real. This Christmas, can you be reminded that God is for young people? That God works in the hearts of young people? That God changes the lives of young people? That God finds young people 
committed to him, committed to purity, committed to the truth, obedient to his word, listening to his word, and says, I'm going to change the world through these young people. He didn't have to find, listen to me, he didn't have to go into a church and find some old people that that wore titles and said they taught Sunday school and things like that to be able to say, I'm about to bring the Son of God into the world. He didn't have to. He used young people. And that gets my attention this Christmas. Secondly, families with drama. Lost in the idea of the Christmas story is that we've got an issue on our hands, right? Joseph comes home from work one day to find out that Mary has just tested positive on a pregnancy test. They didn't have those back then, but she knew that she was pregnant. And Joseph realizes she's not from me. I didn't get her pregnant. And so the questions start to bounce right and left. Well, how did this happen? How could this be? Who was it? If it's not mine, then, then whose is it? It was the question. And can you imagine when she said, honey, I want you to know something. I do love you. The child is God's. Would have been hard to believe. And Joseph, a faithful and honest and just man, didn't believe her. But he was a good man. And the passage tells us, verse 19, that her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now I want to point out to you, folks, and it's not my main point today, but it's a good one for us to learn, especially at Christmas time. Hey, just because you've got shame doesn't, need, doesn't mean you need to put shame on anybody else. Just because somebody else throws shade doesn't mean you have to throw shade. Like my mom taught me, two wrongs don't make a right. It's okay to be wronged and still do right. Can you imagine the shame of all of your buddies knowing that your girl's pregnant by somebody else? And then resolving to not put any shame on her. You ever heard that we're supposed to turn the other cheek? We don't need to slap back when we realize that Jesus has taken our shame, that God has our identity secure in Christ. But we do have some family drama here with Joseph, and he resolves to divorce her quietly. So here's the scene. We have an unplanned pregnancy, which more and more we're hearing today that unplanned pregnancies should be ended or at least considered to be ended. God can do something great out of an unplanned pregnancy. We have this in the Christmas story. We have a divorce on our hands as it says that he had resolved to divorce her quietly. Resolves lets us know that Joseph has considered this and thought about this and he's thought about what he could do and he's thought about really what he thinks is the best way out. He's not going to shame her. He wants to deal with it well. He really wishes her well with her, with her new man and her upcoming child. He wishes them the best, but he just needs to step away from it and, and do his own thing. There's, there's um, a pregnancy, there is di- divorce, and there's the shame and all of that's going on and It it reminds me that the Christmas story has right in the very middle of it family drama. And I don't know what your family's like, but when I get together with my my family for Christmas, there's always some drama. I'm always wondering which boyfriend the cousins are going to bring next to the Christmas party, and and every year I kind of meet a new one. It's hard to get to know somebody when it's always a new year getting to know somebody else. Or sometimes you wonder if such and such is coming or such and such is coming. Well, they didn't come last year, you know. Why? Well, they were, they were mad about something. Well, maybe they'll be here this year, right? 
And then you always hear that somebody's not coming because they're not feeling well. And then next thing you know, somebody's upset because they're not able to come. And now it's the first year that you're doing Christmas without them. And there's all kinds of emotions and hurt that come up during Christmas, right? And then you add in the things that there's situations where some people aren't invited because they don't deserve to be invited. Next thing you know, family Christmas can be pretty dramatic, right? There's a lot of issues and a lot of drama. Not to mention that there are some families that no longer even do family Christmas. That's drama in and of itself. And here in the Christmas story, we have this very thing. We have Joseph uncomfortable and awkward. We have Mary, a young teenage girl, trying to take all this in. Can you imagine the struggle of being in the will of God and wanting to do what God has called you to do? Can you imagine being 14 and pregnant and your husband saying that he doesn't trust you and wanting to leave you? Can you imagine? What would you do if you were a young teenage girl and in that situation and the man that loved you is now saying he wants to divorce you peacefully? Oh, the doubt and the questioning. The Bible doesn't tell us, but perhaps Mary was crying herself to sleep each night saying, why, God, why, why? I'm trying to do the right thing. And perhaps at Christmas time you've been doing the same. God, why? Why is my family so jacked up? Why is it hurt so much? I'd rather just get through with it and move on. Family drama is real at Christmas time. And that doesn't mean that Christmas isn't for us. It may mean that the holiday is difficult. It certainly doesn't mean that the Christmas story is not for us. In fact, it means we fit with the Christmas story. And if all of that's not enough on the family drama that Mary and Joseph and all of that, I want to point you back to how Matthew began his gospel. With the genealogy that takes us, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And verse 2 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and that just gets us through one of the big chunks. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon, which was a horrible time in Jesus' family line. They were deported to Babylon because they had become so rebellious to God that God allowed them, listen to me, they had become so godless that God allowed their enemies to come overtake them and get them out of there. Talk about family drama. Can you imagine being the savior of the world and being the parents of the savior of the world? Can you imagine being a teenager that's pregnant at the, age, at the young age of 14, conceived by the Holy Spirit, God had spoken directly to her through an angel, being that connected to God, and yet remembering that just a few verses back in the family genealogy, there is the reminder that we were deported to Babylon to be oppressed under King Nebuchadnezzar because we were so messed up as a family, as a nation. 
And that's the story. Verse 12, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And what we have in that is a really, really long family line. I don't think anybody here knows their family ancestry back that far. But when you go back to the family line that is dramatic just with Joseph and Mary, you find that the further you go back, there's more drama. And so it is with us that there's drama in our families. You go back a generation, there was drama there. You go back a generation, there was drama there. And that's the way it is when we are struggling to find our way, when we are sinners who don't understand God until God's mercy reigns in our hearts. The Proverbs teaches that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, that way leads to death. In other words, we don't know. The Proverbs teach us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Stop thinking that you know what's best. God's way is best. And so family drama is a part of it. And during the Christmas holiday, family drama may stress you out, but let me remind you that during the Christmas story, as we're here reading it, family drama just helps us to connect. Young people are in the Christmas story. Families with drama are in the Christmas story. But then thirdly, lower class people are in the Christmas story. And I don't know which you are, and quite frankly, I don't need to know or even care to know if you are upper or middle or lower class or, or, or something else. I don't know. But I do think it is outstanding to see here in the scriptures that this is for them. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to bounce us now over to Luke chapter 2. Matthew doesn't cover the shepherds. Luke does. And in Luke chapter 2, we see that right after Jesus is born, there is a heavenly announcement. God wants somebody to know that his son, the Savior, has been born. The incarnation has happened. God has become a man. It has happened. As he said it would, it has happened. The virgin has given birth. Who could have ever dreamed of it? Nobody, only by the amazing, miraculous work of God could a young virgin girl have a child, and it is God's son. It's the savior of the world. It's the pinnacle peak, highest point of the Christmas story, and God wants somebody to know, so who did he tell? Did he call in the news to say, put it on the front page of the paper? No, he didn't. Did he call in ESPN with the breaking news on the bottom line? No, he didn't. What did he do? He sent his angels to the shepherds. The shepherds. People who didn't need an education, they just were to watch sheep. People who were dirty and smelly and in some ways they were outcasts of society. They didn't really clean up much because to work as a shepherd was to go back to work as a shepherd. These were the very first people that God had told. If you know the story well, the wise men were much later. That God didn't go to them first. 
But God went to the shepherds. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. One more point. Not only were they the lower class people, the shepherds, the poor, the dirty, the outcasts, but they were third shifters. They were guys that worked third shift. And that connects with me so much at Christmas time, right? We have UPS here, and we have Ford here, and we've got all of these big companies where people work around the clock. We have people in worship this morning who just clocked out of work at 6 a.m. They've not been to sleep. And I thank God for you guys. There are people here who go to work when we're going to bed. There are people who work all night, and when we get up and the alarm clock's going off, they're falling into bed. Third shifters, and the shepherds were that. There's so many third shifters in in the city of Louisville, and the shepherds were. It says in verse 8 that they were keeping watch over their flock by night, and God knew that, and God found them. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Who's Christmas for? All the people. Christmas is for everyone. And when Jesus was born, God sent the angels right to the shepherds at night, third shift, out there in the fields with the dirty sheep and said, I've got great news. The Savior of the world is here for everybody. Everybody. It's awesome. So just in case the holidays have you down, because you don't have enough money or you don't have enough time or you have to work too much or you're not feeling so great. I want to remind you that the Christmas holiday may put you in that spirit, but the Christmas story ought to connect. The shepherds were the first ones that God told. Folks, in our midst, living around us and functioning around us, there may, there may very well be people who are lower class people in, in, in the sense that they, they think that they don't uh, have enough or do enough or rank enough or whatever. May we be reminded this Christmas story that that should not be the case. That God is for them and God loves them. God connects with them. He went to them first. Let me take that a step further. When our Savior lived here, he was in every way lower class. He was born in a manger. He was born in a stable. There was no room in the inn, and they laid him in a manger. Jesus was born outside with the livestock. Jesus grew up, and the Bible says he was never really anything good to look at. Certainly wasn't handsome. Jesus was poor in every way. He was happy to wash people's feet. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, he said. Jesus connects with lower class people. When we go to Ecuador, every once in a while, we'll travel way up north to this town called Apatug, and there's a little church there called Rumi Susa. That's the name of the church. And it's a, it's, a, it's a poor town. They don't even have real roads there. It's hard to get through the town. And they work out in the fields all the time. And everybody you meet has the most calloused hands you have ever seen. More callous than anybody's hands in America and really no comparison. They work, they work, they work. And they invited us one, one time to a Wednesday night worship service way up in the mountains of Ecuador. I mean way up, freezing cold there. And we showed up at 7 and by about 8 nobody was there. And we kept saying, are we going to have churches? Oh yeah, they're going to be here. 
And sure enough, by about 9 o'clock, people started to roll in. And they walked in like this with their hurting backs, and they were covered in all of their shepherd clothing, and they were covered in all their labor. There was dirt all over them. Their boots were covered in dirt. Many of them were wearing knee-high, those rubber boots that you wear when you're working in the mud. They were covered in dirt, and they had come to worship. And we learned why they were worshiping so late. That Wednesday night service went from about 9 to 10.30. You know why? Because they had to work all day to get the work done, but they still wanted to worship. And I learned something that day that they may be poor, they may not have much money at all, but they can still know and love God. They can worship him. And why not? Absolutely. The Christmas story of God coming as a Savior is for all people. And our church learned something that day, that God is working in Ecuador, God is working in those people, and those farming culture people are absolutely no better or no worse than us when it comes to having an opportunity to know the Lord Jesus. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is for young people, and the Christmas story is for families with drama, and the Christmas story is for lower-class people. And then also, if you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story is also for upper-class people. And I really don't know if this is any of you all. If so, y'all haven't let me know. And while there does seem to be a lot of back and forth in our world on east end and west end and south end and all that type of stuff right people that live in these countries or these countries or these towns and these towns there's a lot of talk but i want you to know that when we start reading in the christmas story it doesn't matter which one you are jesus came for you in matthew chapter 2 right after i finished in chapter 1 it says now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of herod the king behold wise men from the east y'all that's them these are not the shepherds at all. These guys are probably not working third shift. These guys are people with status, people with rank, people who are known as the magi in other versions of the Bible. These guys are the ones who could travel. They have the means to travel, and they were able to travel, and the, the time off to travel. And these guys, verse 2, came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These guys were the wise men. These guys were kings. And they traveled that they could see Jesus, that they wanted to worship him. A couple Wednesday nights ago, I taught on this passage, and I reminded you all that there was one clear reason why the wise men are in this story, to come and worship Jesus. 
And they brought Christmas presents, if you will, and their presents were not something small like a, like a card that had thoughtfulness with it. Their presents had wealth with it. They brought gold. I'm not sure if you've gotten any gold this year for somebody or if you're expecting any gold this year, but when the wise men came at Christmas time, they brought gold. The King Jesus has been born. Here's some gold for you, baby Jesus. Or here's some frankincense, or here's some myrrh, here's some ointments, here's some things, here's some perfumes that are just full of wealth and value. And we've brought these to you because we recognize that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Savior of the world. You are the King of all kings, and we've come here to worship you. Yes, we may be kings in the eyes of men, but you are a king in the eyes of God, and we're here to bow down to you and worship you, they said. Upper class Wealthy people, high-ranking, sophisticated, wise men had come in the Christmas story to worship the baby Jesus. I love that part of the story. I love the part of the story where they get into Jerusalem and they are met by Herod the king and he says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for the king. We come to worship him. He says, well, I'm the king. And they're like, fella, we're kings too. We're looking for the real king. We're looking for the savior king. We're looking for that king who right now is just a baby that is actually the king over all kings. We're looking for that king, Herod, that God's already told us, you and I and everybody else will bow our knee to one day. We learn that from the upper class people. I was reading a devotional just the other day. It was a Christmas devotional. I heard a story about a man who's a, who's a leader in another denomination, not a Southern Baptist, a leader in another denomination, and he was talking about how important it is uh, for us to remember that the Christmas story reigns over all of our successes. And it was cool to hear him say that because he was very successful. And he went on to tell a story of a colleague who just sold his business for $10 million and said, I don't need this money. All of my blessing is from God. And he gave away not 10%, not 50%, but he gave away 100% of the sale because he didn't need it. A $10 million gift that he gave to his church and to other ministries around because he recognized that all of his wealth and all of his gifts and all of his blessing was from God. I realize that this day that there are many kind of uppity, higher, wealthy people who claim to be Christian and quite honestly, we would question that because of their arrogance and their pride and their being judgmental and all of that. But I want to remind you all that it is absolutely possible for somebody to be blessed by God and have and yet still have their heart humbled before God. The Christmas story teaches us that the Christmas story is also for upper class people. The wise men came to worship him. They were willing to bow down. They were not too good to bow down or too wealthy to bow down. They were willing to bow down to Jesus and they did that very thing. Christmas story is for everyone. We see it with young people. Mary and Joseph in their teens. We see it with family drama, unplanned pregnancy, divorce, shame, the genealogy. We see it with lower class people like the shepherds. We see it with upper class people like the wise men. That sounds like a pretty good mix. Christmas is indeed for everyone. But I want to ask you, what makes the Christmas story meet with all of them? Why is that the Christmas story? And granted, the easy answer would be, well, Jesus is the common denominator. But I want to help you see why Jesus. Notice that in all four of those sections we have, they hear the word of God 
and they believed it. With young Mary and Joseph, Mary is told in Luke chapter 1 that she is going to have a child conceived by the Holy Spirit and that God is going to do this in her. Listen to Mary's response in Luke 1.38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you say that? Are you able to say to God, God, I trust your way more than my way? What about Joseph's response in Matthew 1, 24 and 25? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed God's word. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And then he called his name Jesus. What if it had been his lifelong ambition to name his son Joseph like he was named? What if he wanted to name his son after himself or after his friend or after his father? No, he obeyed and did what God had told him to do. He even stayed with her. He took the shame because he had heard the word of God and he believed it. Mary had heard the word of God and she believed it. You take the families with drama and their connection to the word. Matthew 1.17 tells us that in all of these generations, from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation, from the deportation all the way to Christ, in all of that, we had the fulfilling of the promised plan of God. Verse 22 says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet from the book of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. What you have in the family drama is a family that is being driven by the truth of the word of God and it being played out. What about the shepherds? In Luke chapter 2, verse 15 Here's the shepherd's response. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, quote, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. God had revealed it to the shepherds. God's word had been spoken to them and they believed it. Or what about the wise men? You see here, right here in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Listen to this. For we saw his star, that was God showing them, when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Whether it was the teenagers, Mary and Joseph, whether it was the outcasts of the shepherds, whether it was the wise men, God had spoken to them. They believed it. And they came to worship Jesus. The Christmas story lets us know that wherever you find yourself in this life and with whatever you're doing, God is speaking to you through the Christmas story. Not through the Christmas holiday necessarily. God is speaking to you from the Christmas story. Will you believe it and come bow down to Jesus and worship him? A couple nights ago, we were doing the Advent Bible reading with our family and it's hard to do those, honestly, during the Christmas season because you're so busy and it gets late and the kids are whiny and all that. But we were doing it. And we read about the wise men, this very story, and how they came to bow down. And Carolina has one of those little people nativity sets. And she had heard the story, and she's only three years old, so she's not real in tune with all the stories yet. She's new to her. I woke up the next morning. We are getting the kids ready for school, and laying right there in the middle of our living room on the carpet was little figurine plastic baby Jesus sitting right there. And right in front of baby Jesus 
where her three wise men laid out like this. It was a cool scene for me because if she got one thing in the midst of all the little toys, the Christmas story isn't so much about me but about worshiping Jesus. And that's for everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Christmas story. And thank you, God, that we can spend an hour here today going through how it's for all people. But at the same time, God, in about a three-minute little family reading, our children can get it. God, whether we're in the midst of some family drama right now or whether we are teenagers or whether we are making a lot of money or working at night because we need the money, Father, it's for us. God, we thank you that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. May we come and worship him now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've never responded to that, then let's do it. Let's let Christ be the, the Lord of our lives and king over us. If you're here today and you've never believed, then we would ask you to do that, to become a Christian. May the Christmas story hit you right in the heart and you'll be thinking about living your life for Jesus. If you're here today and you've never been a part of a church and you want to be a part of a church and we would love for you to be a part of our church you want me to be your pastor and, and us to be your people then we want that perhaps you're here today and that back and forth I gave you between the Christmas holiday and the Christmas story is something you haven't thought about lately maybe you just want to stand there